Welcome to the Psych NP Cast, a podcast made specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. You're about to enjoy, be educated, and entertained about your profession. Just remember, folks, the views you hear on this show are those of our amazing guests. Always validate what you do through your best practice guidelines and patient care standards. Now, let's get to the show. Yep, let's get to the show indeed, indeed, indeed. Welcome to another exciting episode of Psych NPCast, the podcast designed specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. I'm your host, Ed Stern, and we have another wonderful episode for you today. So keep your ideas of shows coming. Keep the feedback coming. I promise I'll get back to everybody. We've just been inundated, and I'm really excited about that. Today's guest is Dr. Melanie Martin. Dr. Martin will introduce herself in a moment, but she's going to take some time with us today, and we're going to talk about grief and loss. I'm just going to actually let Dr. Martin explain everything that she has to say. Sit back, enjoy the show, and thanks again for listening. Dr. Martin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm Melanie Martin, or you can call me Doc Martin. Oh, that you had to have had some comments about that in your life, right? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> yep, product of the '90s, right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How many How many Doc Martin shoes do you have, though? Um, at this point, I think I've only. Am I, I think I'm down to one pair. <gasps> How's that for sad? Maybe I need to go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Are they? Do they still exist, or did you buy the franchise? Yeah, you know, that would have been cool. Uh, they don't pay me as much as I'd like, so no, I don't own any franchises. <laughs> All right, well, so Doc Martin, let's talk a little bit about your practice. What's going on? Yeah, so I live in Tucson, Arizona, and I recently opened a practice called Blue Sky Mental Health and Wellness. And so with my practice, I try to um, encourage people to use some non-pharmacological uh, techniques as well as, you know, standard med stuff, but uh, I want to work on helping people find happiness and helping them um, use some of their resources available in their own lives to, to create a more meaningful life for them. And so I try to focus on creativity and doing stuff outside and having some social support and whatever whatever form that is these days, you know, COVID's put a, a spin on everything, right? <laughs> it certainly has. Yeah. Ha happiness in, in a box. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what we get. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, well, that, that's, that's a challenge. Um, and today, uh, the, the inverse of happiness, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about loss, grief and, and the recovery process. Um, and you had a personal story that I think you said you wanted to share. Yeah, I'd really like to. Um, about seven years ago, my husband was diagnosed with metastatic melanoma. And that was definitely um, a big loss for us. He, he had a lot of loss in, like personally, in the sense of he stopped working, he um, changed his entire lifestyle, and we just focused together on helping him get better. Mm -hmm. I also uh, quit my job um, and stayed home and was his his primary caregiver. Um, for quite a while there, I was 
he was 38, I was 35, and we just spent the next nine months um, initially working through the treatment process, and it led to working through the death process. Mm. And yeah, by the time he he left, um, there was a lot of grieving on both of our our sides, and it was it was the biggest loss that I've experienced so far. Um, it led to a lot of changes, um, and it ended up winding me here to being a psych nurse practitioner. Well, I certainly I'm sorry for your loss, but happy for our profession's gain um, in the process. Yeah, that's um, it's a tough story at any age, uh, but certainly at um, you know in the 30s. Uh, but loss is is defined by the individual, is it not? Absolutely. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, so loss is, is very unique. Um, something that can be considered a loss by one person. Another person isn't even phased by sure. it. And it's, yeah. Um, it's just something that you had that you don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all experienced loss, you know, since the pandemic started, because our lives have been so disrupted and what we saw as something that was ours, just kind of the, the inherent entitlement to having um, friends that you can see and going to work every day and um, just the normalcy that we all grew accustomed to got flipped on its head. And now everything is different. And a lot of people out there suffered a lot of loss you know, just in lifestyle changes, that doesn't even include losing friends and loved ones to the disease or, you know, people experienced it themselves, you know, the loss of their health and things like that. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, and that's an interesting way to look at it because we, we each see and define loss and, and cope with it based on our own life experiences. And, you know, there aren't really many people alive who can, you know, equate this radical COVID loss of so many different aspects of normalcy, but, you know, whether it be family members who have died or, you know, loss of job and loss of income, loss of normalcy, loss of ability to go out, loss of ability to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think um, we, in our practices, we are probably seeing people suffering from loss and grieving which we're going to talk about next in, in, in so many different ways that we've, we've never tended to speak to in the past. Right. Exactly. That you are 100% correct on that. And because this is something, this is uncharted territory. Like we don't know where, where we are individually, Mm -hmm. collectively, and we're all figuring it out, you know, in our own individual ways and also together in, many other ways. Yeah. So what is, so what's our approach, right? If, if we have, you know, I mean, it's difficult with so many different aspects of loss being defined in our practices these days by our patients. What's, what are some of the first things that we as practitioners want to want to do with somebody who's sitting in our office experiencing their version of loss? That is a wonderful question. I'm so glad you asked. Um, I think we'd approach it pretty similarly to listening to their other problems where you first listen and hear what they have to say and see if you can 
identify with any of the characteristics that they're talking about and then use some of our own um, experiences, you know, whether we choose to share them or not, that's completely up Mm -hmm. to us and also the individual circumstance and use what we've learned throughout our own life experiences, throughout our experiences as practitioners and what we've learned vicariously through our studies, our reading, our, you know, millions of CEU hours that we've all accumulated <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to approach, approach it in a way that um, gives them a sense of connection and security. Um, maybe not necessarily um, 100%. Um, I understand what you're going through because that's always a frustrating thing to hear. Sure. Um, yeah. The one great way to turn off someone real quick. Um, right. But you know, do it with empathy mm-hmm. and, you know, let them know that you're, that you understand how, you know, like to a certain degree, how they're feeling and see what you can do to, to help them in whatever ways they find most helpful. Right. That's gotta be, yeah, I think that's kind of the key. Um, uh, I deal a lot with 14 to 24 year olds and some 14 to 24 year olds that have significant financial means and others who don't. And, I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the, you know, the, the teens that have come into my office and the loss that they have experienced at their age is um, my personal favorite that makes it very difficult for me not to eye roll is, you know, mm-hmm. um, they did not get the new iPhone. You oh, know, that's it is, but, but like that must be really <laughs> for them. It well, actually that's, is, but, and know, I think like, that's the key yeah. is, you know, you made me think a little bit about that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I obviously don't, or at least I try not to eye roll, you know, directly in front of them for something <laughs> like that. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, at the same token, I mean, this is a, you know, the younger generation, especially with everything going on with COVID their you know, their level of loss of network of social inter you know, of, of social interchange and all those other kinds of things. I mean, this is a, this is a prime time in their life for social development and their social development has been forced into a digital realm. Whereas, you know, the irony is, is that, you know, we used to think that all they wanted was the digital realm, right. You know, they spent all their time texting, you know, um, you know, and the like, but now all of a sudden there's, there's just, there's no alternative. So even that, is you know right. by their definition loss and grief, let alone loss right. of life of family members that you know they may not have even known, but now to hear that Uncle Charlie that they didn't mm-hmm. know, you know they didn't see until you know since they've been one year old, you know has just died of COVID and how do they cope with right. loss that isn't even that tight an emotional connection, but just seeing the family going through it. That's a really good yeah. point. And it is so unique. And I mean, you brought up how different age groups are going to process it differently. And the teen years are, they're so fickle. Um, they're, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's its full of growth, full of um, enthusiasm for certain things and full of complete disdain for others. And um, I can imagine they're feeling lost on a very different way than, um, you know, any other age group is like each age group is so unique in how they, they deal with the loss of, of their connection, the loss of normalcy. And, um, and that 
that is something that should be addressed, you know, different stages of development, whether you want to draw on your Ericsson or whether you want to just take it as a, a regular, you know, Hey, what was I doing as a, a teenager and what was important to me? And now my patients don't have that. And it is going to be an adjustment period mm. and you'll see a lot of adjustment disorder or you probably already <laughs> have seen you know, a lot of adjustment disorder. Yeah. Now it's now it's a chronic thing, but, um, but it's really, it's been, I, I think each of us can agree that it's been really interesting watching how individuals process it and watching how collectively as a society we've, we've processed in COVID mm-hmm. and the grief that each of us has experienced and, and whether it's, Oh, you know, another person that you never really knew, you know, yeah. When you, before you ever had any memory um, of this person, they knew you and they loved you, but you haven't seen them in 14 years. And here you are as a 15 year old losing your uncle, Charlie. Uh, it's still adds an extra element of fear right. and it adds an extra element of instability. Even if that fear is not understanding how to, how to acknowledge loss, right. You know, in other words, right. How do you acknowledge loss of somebody that you didn't know you lost, you know, right. Especially exactly. at that developmental age, uh, you know, right. As, as an adult, we may be able to rationalize it, but, you know, for a, a teenager or a young child to, you know, mm-hmm. not to understand why everybody around them is, is experiencing a different level of loss than, than they are. And, you know, especially, right. you know, the teen years when you're already feeling disconnected and here's another, you know, disconnection factor. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, so if loss comes in all these different ways and, you know, we're, we're supposed to have, you know, put, put that empathy hat on um, and, you know, approach them in an empathetic way. What are some coping skills um, that we, if we're, well, let me ask it a different way. So how do we bridge from law? You know, what's that bridge from loss between loss and grief? Yeah, that's a fantastic question too. Boy, you're on a roll here. <laughs> These are great. I did my homework. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm here with the famous Dr. Martin, you know, Queen, Queen of Shoes and a uh, British comedy. I mean, my God, it's everything. <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> um, so loss and grief, they're very easy to confuse. Um, loss is going to be the actual um, like verb event, of essentially. something that, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You had it. Now you don't. And <laughs> money, I had money. Now I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had a dream of getting the new iPhone. Now you don't. And, <laughs> and, you know, that can take on very, you know, so many things like, you know, either the, the loss of, a person like, you know, physically, um, or a relationship that you had is no longer there. Um, it's, and it's the way that something, the verb of how the action Mm -hmm. of it all. And then grief is how you process it. It's going to be you unpacking your emotional response to what you lost. And that's going to very um, person to person. It's going to vary um, also situation to situation. 
it can even vary day to day mm. than the person experiencing mm. it. And, um, and something that, something that one person will grieve tremendously for, such as, you know, a new iPhone that they didn't get, um, some of the rest of us will be rolling our eyes at it. Right. And, um, because it is so unique and so individual. No, it's an interesting point. Yeah. So, so now we have somebody, right. Who's experienced a loss. Um, and so they're moving into that grieving stage. Right. Um, and that is more than likely, right. When they're, when they're coming in to see us because they're having some kind of an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. So talk a little, let's talk a little bit about that grief stage first and then how we manage it in our profession. Yeah. And so I, I love how you put that out there about this is when we get, you know, this is when we get to see the person. This is when our work. Yeah, right. it's, um, it's when we get, it's when we get <laughs> rocking, <laughs> <laughs> you know it. So yeah, they, so they're coming in and their foundation got shaken. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going, okay, now what? Okay, clearly I need medicine, right? right? Isn't that like a classic response? Um, and so, you know, as luck would have it, we get to be the gatekeepers of this. So um, they're coming in at, at a hard time. This is the time when they're super vulnerable and we get to work through the process with them. We're going to, you know, we're going to hand them the tools that we have available to us and then teach them how to use them in a way that will work for them. And it gets to be um, a bit of a challenge, but a lot of times a bit of an adventure too. Mm -hmm. And we get to help them as they're processing a lot of things. And um, so often they'll, they'll use us um, as a sounding board for a lot of the things that they're feeling and we get to help them as they're going through the various stages, the different pathways that they're going to be taking to, to find healing and to make a full recovery where they're, where they're able to use their experiences to help themselves in future situations and also to help others mm-hmm. um, along the same or a very different path, but draw on their own experiences. Right. So before the interview, you, you know, in our emails, you had talked a little bit about this is kind of where Kubler-Ross falls into, into stage, right? You know, in a place, the five stages. Um, right. When, at what point do, I mean, you talked about medication and, you know, and, right. I mean, obviously this is a therapeutic conversation and, you know, we're spending time helping people manage their grief um, in, in a variety of verbal therapeutic processes, but at sort of at what point in Kubler-Ross, I mean, is there a specific stage in there that we might be jumping in and, you know, being a little bit more aggressive and, and following a medication pathway or something? I love that you asked this because that's a fantastic question. I had to take a moment and pause while you were listening, like, what is the best one for this one? Um, so I'm just going to recap, like, Cooper yeah, Ross, or, you know, right. that needs a little refresher. So we've got denial, like, hey, I, you know, this isn't really happening, or I don't really mm-hmm. have a problem. 
I'm handling this like a, like a champ. And, and then you got anger. And a lot of times that's kind of a shotgun blast. I mean, you can be angry at anything for any reason. Um, and it all, you might, you know, as you're going through grief yourself, or as you're watching other people, you know, your patients coming into you, you'll see how mad they'll get at random stuff, you know, yeah, it's that short trigger kind of thing. The coffee and they did yeah. it wrong. Exactly. Short trigger, no fuse whatsoever. Just an explosion waiting to happen. Um, bargaining. Um, hey, if this happens and this will happen too. Um, and then of course, depression and acceptance, and those can all be scrambled up. Um, they can all happen at any stage. It isn't necessarily a process you walk through. It's, you might have different phases of each of those all joined together throughout your, you know, throughout your patient's grieving process. Um, I definitely think bargaining is a fantastic way to come or when state, when patients come in bargaining, um, I think all of them except denial actually <laughs> are fantastic places to meet the patient. You know, if they're denial, um, there's, that's the time, like if you end up seeing a patient in denial in the denial stage um, or experiencing a lot of denial when you happen to catch them that day, uh, then, oh, you're going to have to take a different standpoint and you're going to focus on, um, you know, okay, fantastic. That's great that you don't have a problem. So what we're going to do is, um, <laughs> you know, we're going to, you know, work on um, you building up some resources uh, within yourself and also reaching out to right, others that might right. be having this make, problem. Make the connection. And, and then while we're at it, let's book you uh, for about two weeks. Cause that's about the point when you're going to be in your, <laughs> your other stages. Here, yeah. Right? Yeah. You'll be processing that's a different right, weapon that's and right. maybe we can have a conversation. Yeah. Well, even yeah. denial is a great place. Right? I mean, do, do uh -huh. we take somebody who's in denial and do we try to push them over, you know, over the proverbial cliff into another stage or let them sort of, I mean, is, isn't denial a, a, a protective measure of some kind? I mean, as long as it's not radical denial, like he's still here, he's still in my home, he, you know, I mean, those kinds of things, obviously. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, you're 100% right about denial being a big coping mechanism to help protect a person. Uh, I think, I think this is going to be very individual. I think that, you know, you knowing your patients within your practice or doing a best guess, um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> tell anybody. Uh, that's yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> we're just winging it here, but you know, we're going to probably wing it right. We'll see. Um, and having the, the follow-up come in fairly quick to, yeah. you know, like fairly soon after is going to be a very big helpful thing. Um, I, I choose with my patients to not pop the bubble and just know that it's going to burst at some mm -hmm. point and let them know, Hey, I know that right now you're not feeling, um, that this is going to be an issue. So, you know, we're going to schedule you soon, but also know that when you're ready, I'm here for you. And that, um, that seemed to work fairly well. Um, and I think, I think people are receptive to that. Just knowing that, knowing that you're there, um, but, you know, scheduling something. So they're kind of obligated <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to keep you posted. Yeah. And, um, it seems to work. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. 
or that's what I found. What about uh, you? Well, you know, I mean, I think it, as you very smartly said, I think it's, it's um, situation dependent, of course, right. You know, we, we have to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, somebody can be in a depression and need medication. Somebody can be in a depression and, you know, still be coping. Right. You know, it's, it's when, right. right. It's when they're no longer able to keep it together or, or need the little extra boost. I mean, is that a, is that a yes. fair way to look at it? I think so. Okay. <laughs> it seems to work pretty well. I right. think, I think that's very, well, and for what we used to refer to as, as like a situational depression, right. Which would be, you know, something mm-hmm. where a grief and a loss, yes. um, do you have a medication regime that that you you know tend to like? Because we t- with situational depression, we tend to look at it as a short, you know, as a short term, you know, enough therapy, enough time, uh, you know, you revert to to your old self if you process this correctly. What's the clinical approach that you take? So what I typically do is I'll evaluate if they've ever been on an antidepressant, if it worked for them. Um, get some of their, you know, depressive symptoms and see if an SS, you know, SSRI or SNRI is going to be a more appropriate fit mm-hmm. for them. I weigh really heavily on their sleep too. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't sleep, your world's going to be a miserable, miserable right. place. So, so focusing and, on therapeutic yeah. sleep before focusing on jumping on top of an SSRI. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's going to be an individual thing. It depends on, you know, also what the patient is wanting. But, you know, I do remind the patients that, um, you know, sleep is going to be the best healer when you're asleep, um, particularly in your REM stages of sleep. Um, you you don't have the same norepinephrine levels that are going to be acting as a stressor. And so your amygdala is able to really pro- or to like take a chill. Mm-hmm. And you're able to um, process what's going on without um, without the emotional response associated with it. And so, you know, if I do have patients that are really struggling with that, um, you know, I, I I see what I can do to help them out. See what you know has helped them in the past, and um, and I. I work with them on that. If they need a sleep study, okay, we'll get, you know, get you a sleep study. If you, you know, just need, um, just, you know, we work individually on that one. Okay. So taking a, taking into account that, you know, but there's, there's more to this than just grief is I think what I'm hearing you say, right. You know, and we can, we can, Uh you know, if you are, upset all the time, emotional all the time in that kind of depressed, you know, in, in that pure deep grief, right. You know, crying, yes. um, breaking down, whatever it is that, that there's more to it than just treating, you know, there's more to it than just jumping on top of, you know, let's, let's get some serotonin on board. Right. We Absolutely. have to take into consent. And that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh-huh. So we have to take care of, um, you know, right. What are the, we, we can't resolve the trigger in this case, right. Because it's, it's happened, you know, depression or other things where there's other triggers involved, right. Part of our therapeutic approach is, you know, how can we eliminate that? Well, the grief is there. We can't necessarily eliminate grief. We have to work with them, work through the grief. Um, But 
what I'm hearing is you talk about is, is, you know, our goals here are really to move them, um, improving sleep and, and other things like that are going to take them a little bit more readily out of the, um, uh, sort of the sympathetic, out of the sympathetic nervous system a little bit more, right. You know, that, that we're giving their, their body, their, their body and mind an opportunity to rest, reset, recharge, get its own level of homeostasis, its own level of balance. And um, when necessary, look at some SSRIs and SNRIs. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, I came across this great quote from the Middle Ages. There is this, uh, this doctor, his name was John. He was from Milan and he was in the school of Salernum. So this is like a thousand years ago. <laughs> this is from 1099. Okay. But it's a quote that I found. So a few thousand years ago so from 1099. No, a couple yeah. th- a thousand years ago. Okay, sorry. You know, like, okay, never mind. <laughs> Let me do some quick yeah. math. <laughs> but yeah, I've got some fuzzy math action going on over here. But um, but you get my drift. So um, he said, you know, something about Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, and Dr. Merriman. So he was saying, like, use these. He said, like, the best physicians are Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, and Dr. Merriman. And um, I found that very helpful in kind of giving me a guidance for what do you do when you don't have, you know, a stall psychopharmacology book right there that you, you know, if you want to kind of put down the meds and try a different, Hey, are you found in it? Are you finding it over there? <laughs> Always in hand. Hey, yeah. That and Carlotte. <laughs> yeah. So wait, let, yeah. so, so who are the three doctor, the kinds of doctors again? Let's talk. This is fantastic. Dr. Diet, Diet. Dr. Quiet, Quiet and Dr. Merriman. Merry and men. So, okay, yeah, listen, like happiness. Yeah, okay. like be yeah. happy. Don't worry, be right. happy. Okay. <laughs> A little Jamaican action. So with um, Dr. Diet, um, for a lot of these processes, you know, a lot of the grieving, you're going to want to like take a look at what people are putting into their bodies and take a look at this. So you're going to ask about um, alcohol and other substances mm-hmm. like that that will have a depressing effect on the mm-hmm. person. And you you don't want this. I mean, you're already in a depression or you're, you know, sure. You're going to go through the depression stage soon enough. Um that's the last thing you need. And another thing is alcohol will screw up people's sleep. And so let sleep be a big healer. Uh, another thing you're going to look at is their caffeine intake. Um see if they are continually stimulating their body or see what other things are going on that they're putting into their body. You don't want uppers and you don't want downers. Mm -hmm. You want the person to heal as naturally as possible Mm -hmm. with those. Um, You know, that is falling into that same category. I would take a look at, you know, some of the antidepressants, you know, anxiolytics, things like that, that will help them along. Um, You can also, if you're feeling like going extra credit here. You can also talk about sugar. <laughs> you can talk about um, increasing, you know, your fruit and vegetable intake, but it's going to really focus on trying to give your body the best chance it can at um, healing your soul, healing your mind, going through what you're doing. Just so much of Aunt Carol's casserole that she keeps bringing over, but yeah. Oh, don't you love <laughs> it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Thanks, Aunt Carol. Right. And then the next one, we'll move right on to Dr. Quiet. And we live in such a manic world. And having screens surrounding us everywhere, you know, like, geez, it's so easy to just get mm-hmm. carried away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also kind of this, a lot of us end up having this self-imposed um need to just keep going you know step on that treadmill and crank it up as fast as you can and do more do more do more and that's not what healing is all about if you had open heart surgery you're not expected to jump right back Mm -hmm. in and sometimes with grief you've got to consider it its own version of open heart surgery um you're going to want to slow down you're going to want to give your give yourself a chance to process this Mm. and then get as much sleep as you need. That's where you're going to do a lot of your healing in the sleep therapy portion. And, um, and that's, that's going to be something that, that we need to focus on is just slow down. Mm. And then moving on to Dr. Merriman um, would mention a little bit earlier that happiness is really protective um for depression um where we end up needing to nurture ourselves and give ourselves as much happiness as we can right now we've got enough sadness with the grief process let's balance it out you know whether that's in the form of watching funny movies Mm um you know having some some laughter with some friends in whatever form that ends up coming whether it's a you know, online visit or phone call, or, you know, if it's someone you feel like you can safely visit, do that. Or doing things, activities that you like, you know, look into yourself, see if you're feeling particularly depressed, think of a time when, when you weren't and what made Mm -hmm. you happy. And if that's going outside and going, you know, if it's, sub-zero temperatures it's not so fun (laughs) unless you've got (laughs) your big outdoor winter and sports enthusiast um but finding what works for Mm -hmm. you and what brings you joy and those are um going to be very influential in the recovery process can that can can dr merriman only happen after acceptance has happened from kubler ross I think possibly, but I think that maybe there might be little glimpses of Merriman throughout that you're able to just take a step away for, you know, an hour or something, put all the sadness aside and you can come back to it later. Sadness is patient. It will wait. Well, and you said that, that, right. I mean, Right, Kubler Ross isn't as linear as as we might might think it to be. So you have may have a degree of acceptance, degrees of bargaining, depression, anger, you know, all all at once. And so it's a matter of, you know, carving out some time, you know, encouraging your patients to carve out a little bit of time for for merriment, even right. if it's reminiscent merriment of times spent with whatever it was, you know, that that you had that right. loss, yeah. Right. Whether it's going through pictures, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. other, you know, reminiscent that, times. Type and that's of thing. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and helping them, right. right? Helping yeah. them to realize that that's okay. And that the emotion, you know, 
um, you know, the feeling, the emotion is, is, is an acceptable thing as, as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so where do I, I'm going back to it and, you know, but Hey, we are psych NPs, but so mm-hmm. how do we help educate our patient as to what the role of an SSRI or SNRI would be, you know, and help them get to that sort of merriment. If they're on the fence, what kind of education would we offer them to help them? Because antidepressants have a stigma, right? They have side effects, you know, they have side effects, they have a stigma Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, I don't want to be on phylloxetine forever, you know, um, you know, and I don't want that stigma. How do we help them realize that it's a, you know, it's a tool to use, to get them, you know, to where they, to get them to continue to process. Yeah. Um, I like that you said that because that is a barrier that we come across quite mm-hmm. frequently in our role is people say, you know, I, I don't really want this, but here I am asking for it. And there is some sort of a bargaining within themselves to even be there and the, you know, be in your right, office in the right. first place. We got them um, in the door. Now we got to, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Still need to sell that used car. Oh dear. Like every now and then. <laughs> so um, an approach that, that can be helpful is remind them that this doesn't, first of all, they don't have to take it if they don't want to. And, but if they do take it, they will probably notice that they're going to be feeling more like they're happier selves. And be and because they will be feeling more like, you know, their more capable self, they're going to be able to use that with the other people in their lives that are important to them. Um, I, I've often, I've even used my own thing where, um, you know, I've, I've been taking Lexapro for a long time Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know a decade or something like that and um every time I I try to come off it I end up regretting it within six months or something Mm -hmm. like that so what I often tell tell my patients is um that's something that I'm very happy to share and I'm very happy to let them know that this doesn't have to be permanent Mm -hmm. um this is just something to help get them through a tough time so the other people that are in the same boat with them will enjoy them more yeah yeah. (laughs) um a lot of times this isn't you know sometimes you have to sell it as a a a selfless act um because it they're going through a stressful time they're they're struggling and it's hard being with people that are struggling um it's exhausting and it takes a toll on some people that probably can use um you know your patient coming at you you they could use them being their best most capable um, stable self. And, and so they're able to get to a point where they feel healthier and happier. This can end up, um, leading to a more happier, healthier, um, situation Mm -hmm. for everybody. Yeah. And it doesn't have to last forever. If they only want to be on it for a little while, that's fine too. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we, we can taper them off of it any any time that they want, but give them an opportunity to, you know, to gather normalcy 
And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, I can see so many things impacting our ability to be successful in medicating somebody, both, you know, both the stigma culture, so many other things. Um, and, you know, this is somebody who has acute onset, um, right. you know, an acute onset depression, as opposed to, uh, you know, somebody who's been, um, you know, more chronically depressed. So it's a very, very different, you know, uh, palette that we're working off of. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. So we spent a little bit of time and we were, you know, talking about Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Merriman. I mean, those are aspects of, of the recovery process. Um, what are some other things, uh, that we can use to educate and, you know, and help our, our patients with the recovery process. So one of the things about the recovery process, particularly for people who haven't experienced experienced loss and grief on a profound mm -hmm. level is to just be patient with yourself. <laughs> okay. um, like know that you're probably going to be a different person while you recalibrate. Mm. And this is a time for you to, expect some surprises. Um, not all of them are good. Not all of them are bad. Uh, but just to expect that things won't necessarily go the way you're expecting and you probably won't be the way that you normally are. Mm. And this is a time to, to practice, um, a lot of self-love <laughs> and a lot of self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. And try to steer clear of things that will get you in in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Why ever? What do you, do you mean? My goodness! Yes. Uh, yeah. A lot of times, and that might uh, be, and that might actually be why they're there, you know, in the chair exactly. next to us, because you know it's mm -hmm. gotten them right. Their anger got a little too far, or they're exactly yeah, the, you know they're missing they're too much work, or things like that. Sure. Exactly. Sure. Um, yeah. And anything else yeah. that you can think of that, you know, that's, that's powerful. So there are a couple other things that I've found very powerful is to um, recognize that, that this is a time of a lot of self-reflection and a lot of like, like having pain on a level that's profound is a time for you to to realize that this is a big opportunity for growth, to deepen yourself as a, a person, mm -hmm. um, jump, you know, face first into the human experience and feel all the things that come with a lot of grief. Um, and because of that, you are going to become a stronger person if you let it. And you don't have to let it. You can let this break you if you want to, mm -hmm. but try not to. Um, you know, this is an opportunity for you to, to, you know, build your own emotional scar tissue that's going to be stronger and um, a different kind, a different texture than the rest of you will be. Emotional and scar tissue. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of deep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, it sounds almost like saying essentially, you know, with, with great, pain comes other forms of greatness. 
Um, exactly. It's like, you, yeah. you know, a twist on Spider-Man, I, right? You know? <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I was just going to say, apparently I'm not the only geek in the room. I was just thinking, right? You know, poor, I'm right here. That's yeah. It. yeah, poor Peter Parker. I mean, if it weren't for... You know, if it weren't for Aunt May, he might not be Spider-Man and, and Metropolis right? might not be safe. Um, I know it's a good thing. We, it's yeah. a good thing we got this going here. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it is. I mean, this is your own Peter Parker moment when right, you do, right. you know, when your patients do have um, this kind of, of pain. It's just like, okay, you know, this is your own great responsibility. Um, this is a, a chance for you to grow in a way you've never had before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a, a way for you to um, rise from your own emotional ashes and become the person with the story to tell that others would want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always fun to hear a hero story, but to become a hero, you've got to go through some, some serious stuff first. And this is, you know, they're in the middle of building their story and later on, it would, you know, it's always nice to have them reflect and say, I did that. You know, I am my own hero. And and oh. another thing is each person's going to have their own, their own belief system, whether it comes from, um, you know, like a spiritual side, you know, religious side, um, what have you. But this is a time for them to find meaning in the little everyday ways of of finding magic like there's a lot of magic in the universe a lot of magic in everyday life if you just look for it and if you're too busy being sad you're gonna miss it and whether it's you know a little something that you know a little something that reminds you of that person throughout the day whether it's thinking about something that reminds you of the person and then it suddenly appears Mm -hmm. or um or just having a special feeling that comes out of nowhere. Don't be so caught up in being and burying yourself into, you know, like getting lost in work or, you know, being so busy with other, other things that you're not able to, to have that special feeling that comes only from recognizing something that's meaningful to you. Well, that's, and that's powerful advice for us as practitioners not only to practice ourselves, but to share with our patients and to help, to help them make that, you know, make that connection. I think that's, you know, that's pretty powerful because we are dealing with acute onset depression, you know, and right. right, Or, and, and that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's the key is that these are people who, you know, otherwise prior to this depressive event might have been, managing better might have been, right. um, you know, never had experienced a, a, a clinical depression before. So their approach to depression is, you know, uh, perhaps that of weakness or, or, or other things to help them realize the value proposition you know, that's, I mean, those are, that's sound advice, Dr. Martin. That's great. Thank you. Um, and I should probably point out, <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> I do that. I should also point out before people send emails in uh, that Peter Parker wasn't Metropolis. It was New York, but, you know, <laughs> I just uh, realized that that little slip I made. I don't want to get in trouble now. Got to be, if I'm going to geek out, I got to geek out all the way. Um, <laughs> <That's fantastic. yeah. laughs> well, uh, 
you know, thank you for spending some time and giving us an opportunity to sort of delve into the, you know, the aspects of depression from an acute onset with, you know, um, loss, grief, and, and helping our, our patients, uh, recover. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily always the kind of thing that we, you know, that we see every single day, you know, in our practice, we tend to deal a lot more with chronic, chronic illness. Um, and certainly because of COVID, God, it seems more chronic, doesn't it? Um, you know, right? Yes. right. What do you define as a, you know, do you define a chronic illness as something that's been recurring for an extended period of time? And so exactly. yeah, I'm sure we're seeing more and more of it, but um, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And I suppose any of us that are in Tucson, Arizona, we're going to look for blue sky mental health and stop yeah, by and see. Love it. to have you. Okay. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, I'm all doing. I'm doing all tele stuff right now. So anyone in Arizona? That's okay. We'll shout from the to... window. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you so and much. And if anybody needs yeah. to find somebody to do referrals in Tucson, we now know about you. So thank you. Appreciate you joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for this opportunity. I've really, I've, I've just thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. It's been wonderful. I've enjoyed spending time with you too. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Psych and PCAST. We'll see you in our next episode. Don't forget to tell your friends and in whatever podcast system you're in, don't forget to rate us. That helps us get found by other Psych NPs. We'll see you next time.